What a wonderful day the Lord's blessed us with. And we can be exceedingly glad in this day. I feel good. I started to ask how many of you feel as good as I do, but you don't know how good I feel, so that would be a question you couldn't adequately answer. But I feel good. It has been a taxing week in so many uh, arenas for Rebecca and I. But I am excited to finally be in Pensacola, Florida, full-time. Appreciate so very much the help that we had Thursday unloading the van and for the refreshments that were provided. And for those of you that could not be there to help, I know that you were praying for us. I want to encourage you to be here next Sabbath. Rebecca will be sharing her personal testimony, titled The Private Struggles of a New Adventist. You will be blessed by being here. How many of you had rather be here than the best hospital in Pensacola? Okay, I think we're all agreed. What a great place to be. I am sharing with you a series of sermons about the kind of people that God desires for us to be. In our last session, we looked at the importance of being a reconciled people, and today we're looking at the importance of being a committed people. Would you bow your hearts together with me in prayer? Father, we pause to thank you for what we've already experienced with you and one another during this time of worship and fellowship together, and realizing the importance of what we're about to study from your word today, I am offering myself as a vessel of fresh and renew at your hands at this very moment. Please cleanse me with the washing of the blood of your dear Son. Please anoint with the power of your sweet Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, so that your purpose, your design purpose, might be accomplished for each of us as individuals, as families, and as a church collective. Because as pray, pray, and praises for victories I give in Christ's name. Amen. The scriptures are going to be projected behind me, but if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Revelation, chapter 3. In the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is sharing seven messages to seven local churches. Seven local churches that represented the seven church ages that would exist from the resurrection of Christ until the second coming of Christ. And as we read the graphic description given by Christ of our church age in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15, it's very apparent that in the estimation of Christ, we are lacking a real commitment mentality. Revelation 3.15, Jesus said to that local church, and he's saying to we as a church age, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot, I would thou work cold or hot. To be sure, there are many within the body of Christ who are committed to various issues, There are some who are committed to addressing social injustices. 
There are some who are committed to relieving poverty, you name it, and in all probability you will discover some individual or some group that is committed to that particular area of interest. And it's important as standing firm on such issues as addressing social injustices and relieving poverty may be, somehow, some way, you and I as a closing generation before Christ returns must recapture both the spirit and the strength of Psalm 37 and verse number 5. David was inspired by God's sweet spirit to pin to his generation, and God's sweet spirit is saying to our generation the very same thing. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. There are things that God wants to bring to pass in your life, and there are things that God wants to bring to pass in my life. But God will not bring certain things to pass until we meet the condition of committing our way unto the Lord and trusting also in Him. You see, our Heavenly Father yearns for us, as this verse has been translated, to roll our way upon the Lord. Now, why is it important? Why is it important for you and why is it important for me? Why is it important for us to roll our way upon the Lord? It's important because the Bible is very plain to instruct that there is a way that may seem right unto us, but the end thereof are what? The end thereof are the ways of death. Now, just in case no one has informed you or reminded you lately, your way and my way may not always be God's way. Sometimes we have a tendency of doing things the way we want to do it, how we want to do it, when we want to do it. Question, who is our ultimate example? Jesus, right? And the Bible affords us many beautiful and provoking glimpses of both the deity and the humanity of Christ. And I want to share one with you that you may never have thought about in regard to the commitment of God's Son. It's found in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, holy brethren, holy sisters, Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. And as if someone is about to ask, well, why is it important, why is it imperative that we consider him? Look at verse number two. Who, speaking of Christ Jesus, who was faithful or committed, if you will, to him, talking about heavenly father, that appointed him as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Jesus is to be your example, and Jesus is to be my example. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that we as Christians have not only been called to bear the name of Christ, that's why we're called Christians, but we have also been called to reflect the likeness of our elder brother. 
And so the question I need to ask myself and the question you need to ask yourself is this. Is our calling any less than his? If we are Christians, and Christian means to be Christ-like, right? If we are Christians, if we're going to be like Jesus, is our calling any less than his? Let's look at verse 1 again of Hebrews 3 and then drop down to verse 14. Wherefore, holy brethren, holy sisters, partakers of the heavenly calling. Now, let me stop there a moment. Do you understand, my friends, that our calling is a heavenly calling? Our calling is not an earthly calling. Pastor Dan, what are you saying? God has not called us to look like the world. God hasn't called us to talk like the world. God hasn't called us to act like the world. God hasn't called us to eat and drink like the world. God has called you and God has called me to be different. God's called us to be peculiar people, zealous of good works. God has called us with a heavenly calling. Drop down to verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ. Now, that's exciting to me. That's so exciting if I were in Pentecostal church. You know what I do about now, don't you? That's right. Some of you said it already. I think I will say it. Hallelujah. The moment you and I accepted Jesus as our personal Savior, the moment we placed our faith in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, at that very moment we became a partaker with Jesus Christ. We became a partaker of Christ, and that is something to be excited about. But there is a condition. Continue reading. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence when, how long? Steadfast unto the end. Now listen to me carefully. Wonderful that you may have become a Christian 40 years ago. Marvelous that we may become a Christian four years ago. Splendid that we may become a Christian four days ago. But my brothers and sisters, when Jesus returns in the clouds of glory, Christ is returning for a people who has an up-to-date relationship at that very moment. Because my Bible says it's not to the one that starts out in the way, but it's to the one that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. And I want to be saved, don't you? I do not want to be lost. And so the Bible is plain to encourage that we as members of God's church are to be a committed entity. And I must confess to you that sometimes I ask myself this question. Dan, why is it sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down? Why is it that some of my Christian brethren sometimes seem to be up and sometimes they are down? Why is it we get on this roller coaster, if you will, of life and living? To be very specific, what was there about that local church of Laodicea? And what is there about our church age of Laodicea that Christ 
has characterized us, prompted him to characterize us as being lukewarm. Why? May I offer a suggestion? There are a number of answers to that question. But I believe with all of my mind and all of my heart, I'm convicted in my intellect and I'm convinced in my emotions that one of the major reasons why we are lukewarm as a church age is because we have become over-occupied with the things of this world. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 3, beginning again in verse 15. Jesus is saying to you, as he's saying to me, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot, I would thou wert cold or hot. Verse 16. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And as if someone is about to ask, but Jesus, what is there about us that is bringing you to the very threshold of spitting us out of your mouth? Listen to the response in verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing, not even you, God. Isn't that what your Bible says? That's exactly what my King James Version of the Bible says. I love you. Am I smiling? Can you see my teeth? I love you. But my brothers and sisters, there are too many of us that are treating God like a spare tire. As long as we're traveling down the highway of life and things are going smoothly, we have very little need of God. But as soon as we have a spiritual blowout or things happen in our lives, what do we do? We get on the telephone. We send out emails. We get on Facebook. And we ask people to pray for us. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And thank God for those areas of, of communication that we can ask people to intercede for us. Amen? But my brothers and sisters, God takes no delight in being treated as a spare tire. God wants to be vibrant in your life, and God wants to be vibrant in my life every second of every minute of every hour of every day that we are living and Jesus said to that local church, and he's saying to us, you're on the verge of being spit out of my mouth because you're saying, I'm rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And you don't understand, you don't know that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, blind, and naked. Now, will you agree with me that that is a very sad scene but there's hope. There is a message of hope. Look at verse number 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire. And as if someone is about to shout, well, Jesus, why do we need to go through this process? Jesus reverberates, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire that thou mayest be rich. Now, in your minds and in your hearts, if not in your Bible, I want you to draw a circle around that phrase in verse 18, that thou mayest be rich, 
and a line back up to verse number 17. Because we are bragging and we are boasting that we are rich. We are increased with goods and have need of nothing. And Jesus says, no, you are not. And in the very next verse, Jesus says, his desire for you and and his desire for me is that we might be rich. (laughs) You see, our estimation of riches is not always God's estimation of riches. I am a rich man. Not in the things of this world, but I am rich in so many other ways. And one of the ways in which I am rich is in respect to my wife. (laughs) I am so thankful every day of my life that I did not marry that blind-headed girl that could play the piano with one hand and the organ with the other hand. (laughs) Because there's only one woman on the face of this earth that could have lived with me for almost 48 years now. She has dark hair and can neither play a note on the piano or the organ. I am a rich man. I have two daughters that love me. I have four grandchildren. I'm rich. And Jesus is warning you and Jesus is warning to me to understand that he has wealth that we have not even tapped into yet. (laughs) That thou mayest be rich. In the book of Deuteronomy, there is a classic warning that Pastor Moses gave to physical Israel about not allowing the things of this world to captivate the minds and the hearts. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5, those of you that are following in your Bible. And while you're turning, let me paint the scenario for you. The children of Israel have left the land of Egypt. They're standing on the threshold of entering into the land of Canaan. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses was inspired by God's sweet spirit to repeat the Ten Commandments. When he finished, drop down to verse number 33 of Deuteronomy 5. You shall walk in how many ways? One more time, how many ways? One more time, how many ways? You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you. Now back up to verse number 32. You shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. My brothers and sisters, there are voices out there. There are shining lights out there that are trying to get your attention and my attention. And if we start looking to the things on the right or the things on the left and take our eyes off of Jesus, we will get in trouble. Now look again at verse 33. You shall walk almost as if someone is about to ask, well, Pastor Moses, if we do this, what's in it for us? If we don't get distracted with things on the right and and, and we don't get distracted with things on the left, if we walk in all the ways the Lord has commanded us, what are we going to get out of it? Look at it. 
You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that you may live. <laughs> Is there anybody else here besides me that wants to live? Jesus said he came that we might have life and have life how? Life more abundantly. He continues. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that it may be well with you. Anybody else here besides me want it to be well with you? He continues. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Is there anybody else here besides me that wants to prolong your days? My brothers and sisters, God is saying to spiritual Israel today, the same message of hope he gave to physical Israel hundreds of years ago. The message has not changed. If we will walk in all the ways of the Lord, God has ways of blessing us we have not even thought of yet. And then in chapter 6, Pastor Moses continued to call for commitment. And he sounded a clear note of warning against allowing an overoccupation with the things of this world to dominate the lifestyle. Drop down to verse number 3 of chapter 6. Hear therefore, Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may increase how? Mightily. You see, God not only wanted them to increase, God wanted them to increase mightily. God not only wants you and me to increase, God wants us to increase mightily. He continues, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with how much of your heart? All your heart. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with how much of your soul? All thy soul. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with how much of your might? All your might. Am I still smiling? Can you still see my teeth? I love you. But my brothers and sisters, it is time we stop playing church. And it's time we become the church. Are you listening to me? With God, it's all or it's nothing. Now, if you're going to get upset, don't get upset with Pastor Dan. Get upset with Heavenly Father. Because Heavenly Father said to physical Israel then... And Heavenly Father saying to spiritual Israel today, we must love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our might. My dad died when I was very young, and my mother married again. And in our home, there were five of us boys. And my mother and my dad... My, I always call my, dad, my stepdad my dad because he was really the only dad I ever knew. And in our home, there was a sacred hour, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That sacred hour was from 1 o'clock until 2 o'clock. 
We five boys were expected to be very quiet, no running around, no loud noises. Because my mother and dad sat in their favorite easy chair and watched their favorite television program. It was called As the World. Wow, a couple of you have watched that too, haven't you? Just teasing. But I can remember so vividly one of the commercials that played every day. It was an advertisement for a certain brand of soap. That's why they were called soap operas back then, because soap companies sponsored them. And this particular brand of soap advertised it as being 99 and 44, 100% pure. Any of you remember that soap? You do? Yeah, that's right. Now, would you agree with me that that's pretty pure? But with God, that's not good enough. God said it's all or it's nothing. Because if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? Drop down to verse number 10. Because almost as if someone is about to ask, well, Pastor Moses, if we do this again, what are we going to get out of it? Look at verse 10. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware to thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, never have to lay a brick. Verse 11. And houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, never have to go to a furniture store. And wells dig which thou diggest not. Never have to drill for a well. Vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. Now let me stop there and ask a question. Will you agree with me that that sounds like a pretty good deal? Somebody's going to give you a city. Going to give you a fully furnished house. A good water supply system. A good food supply system. Would you not agree with me that that's a pretty good deal? And what did God ask? Just one thing. Love me. <laughs> now, is that just an Old Testament principle? No. My Bible says in the New Testament, God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. <laughs> And what God promised then to physical Israel, God is still promising today to spiritual Israel. But there's not a period there. It continues. Rest of verse 11 and then verse 12. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, verse 12, then beware and as if someone is about to ask, but Pastor Moses, why do we need to beware? We have the cities. We have the houses. We have the water. We have the food. Why do we need to beware? Underscore for the rest of your life in living these words. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You know what that sounds like? 
the church of Laodicea. We're rich, we're increased with goods, and we have need of nothing. Not even you, God. And God says, beware. In the Gospels, Jesus dealt with this principle on a number of occasions. But I just want to share one illustration with you from the book of Luke, chapter 18. A certain individual has come to Christ asking what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus recounts to him certain commandments. And when Jesus finished rehearsing those commandments, I believe that individual looked at Jesus and smiled just as big as he could and says, but Jesus, I've kept all of these for my youth up. Now, let's pick up the dialogue in Luke 18, beginning in verse number 22. When Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Now, let me stop there a moment. It's very important for us to understand in mind and in heart that Christ is not just asking that man to minister to those in poverty, as good as that is. You see, the real test of commitment is whether he would do that as he followed Jesus. Look at it. And come, follow me. Now, how did the man respond to that call for commitment? Look at verse 23. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now, let me stop here and make an observation. Being wealthy is not a sin. Are you listening to me? Having money is not a sin. Having things is not a sin. The sin is when the things have us. Money is not a sin. But my Bible does say the love of money is what? The root of how much evil? The love of money is the root of all evil. So what's that saying? An over-occupation with the things of this world is not good for us. And this man was over-occupied with material prosperity. Look at verses 24 and 25. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said... How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He didn't say it's impossible, but he did say it's very difficult. And because of the mindset of those that were listening to that dialogue, they assumed a wrong conclusion. And so they ask the question in verse 26. Jesus, who then can be saved? And at that moment, Jesus seized the whole of the opportunity to inform that generation and our generation that victory over and over occupation with the material things of this world can only come through the supernatural 
power of God. In myself and in yourself, the tendency is to accumulate more and more and more. And isn't it amazing how fast it accumulates? Now, I am looking forward to being in your homes. My wife and I, we we love to visit, so we're looking forward to you inviting us to your home. And when you invite me to your home, I promise you I will not do snooping. You know what snooping is? Is that a term you're familiar with here in, in this part of Florida? Well, those of you that may not know what snooping means, it means looking in places I should not be looking at times I should not be looking there. But if I were to do a little snooping, I probably would find a drawer, maybe a closet. Am I still smiling? Maybe a room, maybe an attic, maybe a basement that is filled with your, I want to be kind, your treasure. Sometime in the past, you picked up that item or those items, and you looked at it or them with great passion, and you thought to yourself, self, one day I'm going to need this. And you filed it away in a safe place. Now, don't sit there so pious. You know what I'm talking about. And if the truth be known, most of us have things in places we do not even remember where we put them. (laughs) You see, the tendency... Rebecca, put your fingers in your ears, okay? Don't listen to this. But we had to go yesterday and rent a unit to put some of our stuff in (laughs) because it was just too much to put in the apartment. I mean, we could have kept it all in there, but we'd been climbing over boxes and around boxes and maybe even under boxes. You see, victory can only come to the supernatural power of God. And I want you to listen as Jesus drives this point home in verse number 27. Remember, they've asked the question, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, the things which are impossible with Danny Gerard are possible with God. Can I shout hallelujah again? Hallelujah. I can't do it. But Christ in me and Christ in you, we can. Amen. It can be done. And that's God's desire for us. Go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. While you're turning there, let me ask you, let me, let me make a statement and then ask a question. I'm convicted in my intellect and I'm convinced in my emotions that after we become a child of God, following Jesus is the most important element in life. Because a commitment to his call, will enable you and I as children of Heavenly Father to refuse to possess an overoccupation with the things of this world. And we can sing with lip and reverberate with life. Turn your eyes 
upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Don't you want that to be more than a song in your life? We do, don't we? And the question is this, what makes us valuable to God? Are we valuable to God because of the things we have? Nothing wrong with houses and and nothing wrong with cars and boats and bank accounts and stocks and bonds. Nothing wrong with those things, but is that what makes us valuable to God? Look at Acts 20 and verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God. Underscore for the rest of your life in living these words which he has purchased with his own blood. So what makes you and what makes me valuable in the sight of God? We are valuable to God. Because God so loved the world, as we looked at last week, that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus shed every drop, every drop, every drop of his precious blood for you and for me. And that makes us valuable to Heavenly Father. You see, because the church was purchased with the precious blood of Jesus... We have the privilege and we have the responsibility to function as an entity that is owned by Him. I conclude by taking us to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You see, a committed people is needed today so that we can identify with and we can radiate God's expression for us as revealed in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20. For you are bought with a price. And what is that price? We just looked at it in Acts. What is that price? The precious blood of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. For you are bought with a price. Therefore, on this basis, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? Which are God's. You see, when you and I become a child of God, our mentality must become and remain, I am no longer my own. I'm God's. The evangelist was conducting a revival crusade. And close to the beginning of the meeting, there was a beautiful young lady that started attending. And as he would share the messages, he could just see the glory of the Lord building in her countenance. When he started giving the appeals, she was one of the first ones to respond, raising her hand, standing, filling out a card. When time came for baptism, 
She was one of the first ones to walk down the aisle and make herself available for baptism. A few days before the baptism was to take place, the pastor and his associate, they went to the home of the young lady to prepare her for baptism. They were ushered into a beautiful home setting. They were seated on plush furniture. And as they were sitting there, she reached over to the table beside where she was sitting. She picked up a pack of cigarettes. She took one out, she lit it, she placed it between her lips, puffed and began blowing the smoke into the air. And the evangelist said, Father God, I know she loves you. But somehow, some way, she just hasn't caught the vision yet that, that you not only want her spirit, you also want her body. She hasn't made that complete surrender and commitment. Father, would you give me wisdom to know how to deal with this? And no sooner had he uttered that secret prayer, and God's sweet spirit gave him the strategy... He stood up. He walked across the room to where she was sitting. He placed one hand on her forehead and tilted her head back. He placed the other hand on her chin, pried open her mouth. He leaned down just as low as he could without actually touching his lips to her lips. And in the most pitiful voice he could manufacture, he said, Jesus... I feel so sorry for you down there. You must be choking half to death. (laughs) And the young woman began to gasp. When finally she gained her composure, she asked, Why did you do that? Why did you do that? And he said, I want you to understand that Jesus loves you. And Jesus gave his all for you. And he wants you to give your all to him, spirit and body. She slid back in her chair and she bowed her head and closed her eyes. And he could tell that she was in deep meditation. After a few moments, she raised her head, opened her eyes, and there was a sparkle there. She reached over to the table, she picked up that pack of cigarettes, and she wadded it just as tight as she could in her hands, and she dropped it in the wastebasket. She slid forward, and she said, Pastor, will you tell Jesus I'm his? I'm all his? A few days later, she was baptized for the glory of God, and today she is a powerful soul winner for the cause of heaven. My brothers and sisters, listen to me carefully. There is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing worth missing heaven over. Nothing. Because if we miss heaven, we've missed it all. God's calling University Parkway, Seventy Adventist Christian Church to a place of commitment so we can be the people that he can flow through to touch this community in a way that it needs to be touched.
Father God, while every head is bowed and every eye closed, you know our works. You know who we are. Father, please help us understand that we can't hide anything from you. There's no ceiling thick enough. There's no cave deep enough. There's no vehicle fast enough to remove us from your observation. Father, you know who we are, what we're all about. Speak to our minds and hearts in this setting. While every head is bowed and every eye closed, I would not embarrass you for the world. I love you too much for that. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. But if there's something in your life that you have not submitted and committed totally to Heavenly Father, and you would like Pastor Dan to pray for you today and in the days to come, would you just slip your hand up and take it down quickly? I'm going to lock your face into my mind and heart. Yes. Yes. God sees those hands, and so does Pastor Dan. Yes. Could be something large. Could be something small. Yes. Father God, ere these hands were extended in your direction, thank you that your hand was already extended in ours. And Father, I am praying that victory might be experienced in each of these lives that things will be removed or things will be added in accordance with your word, your will, and your way. So that soon and very soon, we can hear you say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Help me, Father, to remember these faces in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray and give you praise. And all the Lord's children said, Amen. Amen. Invite you to turn, stand together as we sing our hymn of response number 330 with our chorister. 330. Take my life and let it be.
Father, as we leave this place, we leave with great delight in being part of your family. Help us to always remember that and to make the commitments that you're calling us to make so that we can finish our course with victory and enter into eternity with the blood of the Lamb covering our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.